With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets Podcast. With the third pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Quinnen Williams, nose tackle, Alabama. Now, here's your host. Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Today, we're going to do a little extra weekend mailbag edition episode. We're going to try to do this a few times throughout training camp and throughout the season. Uh, try to make sure that we regularly do two episodes per week on this feed instead of just a normal Thursday episode, which we will still have this week. We're going to talk with Evan Silva. Uh, about the Jets from a fantasy football perspective, from a gambling perspective. Ev- Evan's been on the pod a few times, uh, one of the smartest guys out there, breaking down the NFL. So excited for that convo, convo and that will be in our normal Thursday a.m. release slot. But obviously the chatter is way up now with training camp rolling. We're a few practices in. Preseason's not far off from starting. So we're going to try to drop in a few of these you know, extra you know, Sunday, Monday episodes where we collect some common questions that we're getting on Twitter uh, or that we're hearing from fans and, you know, talk through them for about a half hour or so. Uh, so that's what today's episode is going to be. Uh, as a reminder, make sure to subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes. It's also available on Spotify and Google Play. Uh, we also publish it on TurnOnTheJets.com. Make sure to give me a follow on Twitter at Jay Caparoso, along with the rest of our writers. Uh, we'll be sharing out all of our Daily links on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, so uh, you'll know where to follow and where to track all that content from. And, of course, we'll continue to have daily podcasts on the Play Like a Jets feed, uh, which will break down all of the day-to-day events while we'll take a, a step back here and take a wider look at what is going on and continue with our normal interviews here on the TOJ feed. I do think, now that I just finished binge-watching... Uh, Season four of Last Chance You. I think we might have to have also another bonus podcast episode just talking about that. I was talking with Greg Armstrong and Dan Eason from our site, and we got a lot of thoughts. And uh, if you haven't uh, if you haven't caught the season yet on Netflix, I highly recommend uh, this show. I think any football fan, uh, regardless of whether you're a bigger college fan, a bigger NFL fan, Jet fan, not a Jet fan, you will thoroughly be entertained and enjoy. Uh, that show. So check that out for your random uh, pop culture recommendation from the Turn on the Jets podcast feed. All right, let's jump into uh, a couple of your questions. As always, appreciate these coming through. Uh, First question is from Swift. Which position group do you think will underperform this year, except the DBs and O-line, obviously? Uh, Yeah, we obviously get a lot of questions about the cornerbacks and the offensive line is the primary concern area for these rosters, and we're probably going to be talking about them ad nauseum until we actually see them in action and see whether they can exceed expectations, meet expectations, or actually really end up becoming a major impediment to this team competing for a playoff spot this year. I think outside of that, I, my mind goes to two different areas, and they're both on the defensive side of the football. And it, it's the linebacking group overall, and it's the defensive line. Linebacker is probably my answer here. 
I think we're forgetting just because most of us, myself included, really like the Ja'Kai Polite pick that the Jets did not do enough to address edge rusher this offseason. There was a huge list of available free agents. Their move was to try to go after Anthony Barr and get him to switch positions. He agreed to a contract and changed his mind. Jets basically end up not making a single free agent addition to their group of edge rushers, which was one of the weaker ones in the NFL, one of the weaker groups in the NFL last year. They add Polite. You know, it was a third-round pick, and I think he was great value there, but he's running with the third team right now, and it's hard to expect him to have an immediate impact as a mid-round pick as a rookie. Maybe he does, but he's not going to come in most likely and have 10, 15 sacks and immediately clean up that problem. So I think when you look at the rest of that group, you know, Jordan Jenkins is a nice complimentary player in my mind. He's, you know, capable of holding down that spot. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a regular 7 8 sack per season guy like he was last year I think that he'll probably be a little up and down with that number uh, and then outside of that you have Brandon Copeland and Frankie Louvu guys who did well in limited rotational roles last year but are probably more situational players and special teamers uh, rather than being full-time starters at outside linebacker and then I think at inside linebacker there's obviously been a lot of money put into CJ Mosley and Avery Williamson I don't think there's any doubt that CJ Mosley is one of the best inside linebackers if not the best inside linebacker in the NFL I do think that paying that much money to someone who is not going to sack the quarterback and potentially not force a ton of turnovers could be something that's viewed as problematic. I still think he's going to continue being the same C.J. Mosley he was in Baltimore and be the best inside linebacker the Jets have had since David Harris. Uh, But then when you look at Avery Williamson next to him, I think Williamson is... A pretty good starter. I think Jet fans overrate him a little bit, and I do think the Jets are going to have a bit of a liability uh, in covering tight ends and running backs out of the backfield, and I think teams like New England and Philly and Cleveland are going to try to take advantage of that early in the year, and you know, Blake Cashman is probably the top backup at inside linebacker. He's a fifth-round rookie, and maybe he does bring a little more speed and pass coverage ability, but I don't see him on the field that much. They're not going to be pulling off Mosley and Williamson for him, so I do wonder if certain offenses are going to be able to really take advantage of the Jets' group of linebackers. And the Defensive line, I think there's a lot of names there. You know, Leonard Williams, top six pick in the NFL draft going into a contract year. The hope is is that he really breaks out, but he may also just be the guy we've seen the past few years who's, you know, a good starter, but a guy who's going to disappear for a few weeks at a time and not someone who's going to be 10, 12 sacks ever in a single season. Henry Anderson was the Jets' best defensive lineman last year. Uh, They invested a lot of money in him. Last year was an outlier for him, particularly from a health perspective. Can he stay healthy for 16 games again this year? We're going to find out. You know, Steve McClendon, a rock-solid two-down, nose tackle, uh, up there in age, so you got to hope you can get 16 games from him. And then Quentin Williams, I think a lot of people's best player in the draft that the Jets were able to get their hands on at number three. Uh, still a rookie, so how quick his impact is is going to be interesting to be seen. I'm a little worried about that Jets defense overall, starting the year in particular uh, with some new pieces and a new system and some of the offenses that they're playing. I think they might be a little slow out of the gate, and hopefully the offense can can help counterbalance that. But that would be my answer uh, to positional groups to potentially keep an eye on. I'm more bullish on uh, what they have offensively outside of some of the question marks on the offensive line. Uh Question from Brett the Jet. Why isn't Mo Claiborne a Jet? Uh, who are potential cut candidates? You could see the Jets targeting. That would be a better fit than he is. Uh, finally, they have cap space. Why not try to sign both him and a cut casualty? It's a pretty good question at this point. You have to wonder, why isn't anybody signed him? 
is a good question. I think Claiborne was okay the past couple of years uh, for the Jets, a little up and down, healthier than he had been previously. It's surprising he's still out there. So that makes me wonder, is there something else going on? Uh, and is there a particular reason why the Jets wouldn't want to have him back? I mean, we don't know the full situation uh, on and off the field. I, I don't know. It's uh, it's actually like a little like surprising that another team hasn't picked him up yet for the Jets. I don't know if they just don't see him as a scheme fit or they don't think betting on him to stay healthy for the third year in a row is smart. I do think if you look at their depth chart overall right now, it's not the craziest thing in the world to bring him in so you feel a little better about the depth, which is why I think maybe there's something else going on that we all are not privy to, but I don't know. Uh, I'm sure there will be other surprising veteran casualties that the Jets take a swing on, and I think they're going to be really fluid at the cornerback position this year. Uh, and how they're rotating guys through and trying to pick guys up uh, who get cut. And I just think that it's going to be very fluid. I think expecting like Jermaine Johnson, Daryl Roberts, and Brian Poole to be the top three guys and to be the top three guys for all 16 games is probably naive. And I think that position is going to be in flux a little bit this year before really being completely leveled and rebuilt uh, when Joe Douglas has a full off season to attack it with his new personnel team around him. Uh, another question uh, from the Jet Ranger. Uh, apparently, Darnold has looked very good in camp so far. What are some things you have heard that should make Jet fans excited for his future, and what are some things that fans should take with a grain of salt? I think, you know, with training camp, you know, doing this for a while now and watching this for a while now, it's important to not get overly excited while also not getting overly concerned about things that you hear in the first seven to 10 days of camp or really throughout camp at all. A lot of this stuff is done without pads and what you see in the preseason game is usually more helpful from an evaluation standpoint. Guys stringing together good practices is of course a good thing. doesn't always, always really result to meaning anything. I think with Darnold, the expectation should be that he will be very good this summer. He was good last summer as a rookie in a, in a tough situation, and he's in a better situation now. He's a year older. He has an offense that should be more conducive to his skill set. He has more talent around him. So I think he's played good by all accounts, and I think that's the expectation. I think the limited action he gets in the preseason, you want to see him not repeating any mistakes he was making last year. You want to see him protect the football. You want to see him you know, attacking down the field when it makes sense. But at the end of the day, all that people are going to care about is how does he look week one when, when it's against Buffalo. So with him, you want him to stay healthy. You want him to protect the football. Um, you know, you don't want to get worked up about interceptions because they're going to happen in camp and teams are going to, you know, try different things and try different route concepts and try to push a little bit. You want that in training camp. It's practice. It's what practice is for. But on the whole, it seems like the offense has been getting the better of the defense, which is a good thing and I think should be the case, actually, if you look at the talent right now on both sides of the football. So uh, it's been positive so far. Let's hope it stays positive. Let's hope he has you know, a light load of work in the preseason uh, and continues to build on what, you know, has been a strong summer so far. Uh, question from Nick. How has the former rugby player been doing in camp? Will he make the roster? This is about uh, Valentine Holmes, who is one of the Jets running backs and uh, one of the more popular UDFAs that people have been asking questions about. I think particularly because of the position he plays. The Jets really don't have... I think there's been a thought that he could be like a potential fullback, uh, 
um, could be someone who's like a special teamer. Uh, I'm not really sure exactly where he's going to fit in. I would say he is definitely a long shot to make the roster, and I don't know if the Jets are going to carry a traditional fullback. I think they'll probably use Wesco in that role, maybe a little Ryan Griffin, maybe a little of Eric Tomlinson if he sticks around. But, you know, running back's pretty crowded, and I think the Jets have done a good job building out a, a deep depth chart there with Le'Veon Bell and Ty Montgomery and bringing back Powell. Uh, while still having McGuire and Cannon around. So it's a tough spot to stick around at. And Montgomery has been one of the early stars of camp and was one of the moves that I really, really liked this offseason. Did not get as much publicity as, you know, Crowder and Assembly and Le'Veon and CJ, obviously. But I, I was a big believer and still a believer that, you know, really McGuire and Cannon are not NFL running backs or their borderline roster players at best, and some fans have been overrating them just because they were playing a lot in a bad team down the stretch last year, and I think the Jets getting a legitimate number two back for Le'Veon Bell was really important because to assume he's going to play all 16 games this year at the amount that he played for Pittsburgh is probably a bit unrealistic. I think they're going to have to scale back his workload a little bit early in the year. He'll probably miss a game or two at some point. Uh, just as he's reacclimating back to the sport. So having a guy like Montgomery, who's very versatile and is a former receiver and can catch the football well, I think was important. I also think he's going to be used with Bell a lot and will sneakily be a pretty critical part of this offense, particularly in the early parts of the season. And then to have Powell there as your third back when he's really been your best back over the past couple of years is good. And you don't have to expect anything of him. Who knows if he's actually going to be healthy enough to make an impact. But if he can, he's a real nice guy to be able to pop in there for a series or two each game. And you know he can handle every part of the game. So uh, having those three uh, is a really nice improvement over what the Jets finished the season with where, you know, a guy like McGuire is probably a borderline, you know, 53-man roster guy, and I think Cannon has a real uphill battle to make it because I don't think his special teams value is quite as valuable or as unique as some are making it out to be. Uh, so I expect those three to be the running backs. I think Holmes, you know, to get back to the original question, is going to have a particularly hard climb to stick. You never know. If he, he really sticks out as a special teams player, crazier things have happened, definitely. Um, another question I got... Uh, I know you don't love Gase, but one could draw a straight line from him to the hiring of Douglas. If you could change history, would you hire a different head coach if it meant the Jets wouldn't get Douglas? It's a really interesting question. Uh, it is interesting and sort of funny how things shake out. You know, I think when the season ended, I was a very big believer that the Jets needed to fire both their head coach and their general manager. I was disappointed that they did not choose to do that. Uh, and was also disappointed with their decision to hire Gase, as a lot of fans were, no matter how much anyone tries to you know, revise history at this point. Now, Gase was able to maneuver a situation where he was able to, I think, help expedite McCagnan being fired, which I think he would have been inevitably at the end of this season. Uh, and I am do think it is for the best that that happened, and I think Douglas was a good candidate uh, to replace him. We don't know how good he's going to be, but on paper... Uh, it's a hire that Jet fans should be really excited about. Does that ultimately happen if the Jets hire Matt Rule or, or Kingsbury or some of the other guys that they're working with? I, I don't know. Uh, I am happy they got Douglas. We're not really going to get to see Douglas in action probably until he really gets his hands all over the 2020 team and how that roster comes together. And I'm, you know, I'm on a wait and see mode with Gase. I'm, I'm still not sold on the hire. It's interesting how these guys are going to kind of be on different timelines. Uh, I'm very curious to see how fan expectations vibe with 
national media expectations for this team and where they land and how blame is assigned or how credit is given depending on how they perform. And I think there's a very interesting, you know, middle line that this team will probably land on that's going to be interesting to see after the season how success is evaluated and how the coaching staff is evaluated and if this front office maybe wants to potentially go a different direction. So the Jets win nine or ten games this year. I think everybody is pretty happy. Uh, and I think everybody is back. I think they win six or seven games this year. I think a lot of people are going to be disappointed. It's going to be nine years in a row without the playoffs, and they spend a lot of money, uh, and that would be three straight losing seasons for Adam Gase. Could I see a situation where they let go of him after one year if they went six and ten and maybe even seven and nine? Yeah, I don't think it's crazy. Uh, I think what's more interesting is if they go eight and eight, or maybe they go seven and nine in a similar way to Miami did last year, where they're seven and six and kind of falter down the stretch and miss the playoffs. When you're sort of right on that borderline, which way does it go? Uh, it's hard to predict any situation where the Jets would fire their head coach after one year. As it stands now, I think the Jets. I'm torn between picking them going seven and nine or eight and eight. Uh, so I'm curious to see how it shakes out, and I'm curious to see how the final 53 comes together, how many draft picks of the old regime who have disappointed are cut, how active Douglas is in the trade market or the waiver market, and then what next offseason looks like when this entire new front office, Savage, Alexander, Douglas, uh, you know, really have a chance to do a full offseason and do a draft and do a free agency period and look at the contracts that they inherited. So it's a really interesting, fluid situation. Uh, with this team. And I, I think a lot of it, you know, how this team's season is going to go is going to come down to that first five or six games because it's very hard to dig yourself out of a hole. And there's certainly an opportunity to fall into a hole with how their schedule breaks. If they could tread water early in the year, that middle stretch of the season should be conducive to them making a run. They're going to play a lot of teams who are anticipated to be pretty bad this year. They're going to play a lot of young and bad quarterbacks that their defense should be able to take advantage of. So if you could get through those first six games at 3-3, three and three, I think they might be in a position to go over 500. If you're going to start... One and five, one and four, two and four, even. That's a tough hole to dig yourself out of. And you got to play great football over the rest of the year just to claw yourself back to a nine and seven. So, you know, you don't want to go crazy and overstating the importance of a week one game and NFL teams, you know, figure stuff out in September. But you really got to, like, beat Buffalo at home. You don't want to be 0 and 1 lining up with your next three against Cleveland, New England. Uh, and Philadelphia in Philadelphia. And that game in New England is also in New England. So, you know, those three teams are considered three of maybe the five most likely Super Bowl contenders. I don't know, right? New England, Philly, Cleveland. You know, they're right up there with, you know, you have New Orleans, you know, the Rams, you know, heading back and the Chiefs. Like, that's that top tier of teams in the NFL. So you want to go into that 1-0, and hope you could steal one of those games, maybe two of them, and uh, tread water. Otherwise, it, it could be a tough start, and you don't want a new regime to have a tough start because in the finger point and starts, and that's where the divisions really begin on the roster overall. Uh, next question from Tommy Griffincrans: What are any low key trade targets you would like to see the Jets go after that could potentially push this team into playoff conversation? I think you want to talk about the Jets as a playoff team this year. This isn't a surprise. There's two things they need to address and upgrade or have overachieved relative to our expectations, and that's uh, the cornerback position 
and it's the offensive line. And those are positions that are not easy to acquire, particularly via trade. You know, I think we're, we're talking a lot about, or we hear a lot on Twitter about Jalen Ramsey or Darius Slay. I think those are both long shots to happen. I have a tough time seeing Douglas, uh, with the timing that he was brought in, making that type of move at this point in the juncture, at this point uh, of training camp. It's not out of the question. I think it's more likely maybe they go for a lower tier guy that he has experience with. You know, some guys, we were talking about LeBlanc a little bit last week. Uh, from the Eagles, if he's potentially on the trade block, do you trade a day three pick for him and uh, hope that he has some upside and can improve your secondary overall? But I am not anticipating that big, big move uh, for a Jalen Ramsey or even a Trent Williams or a Darius Slay. I'm not saying I would disagree with it if they did it. Depends what the price is and what the player situation is. But I'm just not anticipating it. I think you know you want to look towards teams who have particularly good offensive line depth and see if maybe they're interested in parting ways with a piece uh, for a mid-round pick. Is that Pittsburgh? Uh, is that Dallas? Uh, you would feel a lot better about the Jets if they could get another interior offensive lineman with some starting experience in there, particularly at the center spot. But at this point, there's not starting centers out there. There's not a lot of guys out there who are capable of being starting centers. And if teams have them, they're not giving them away. It's very hard to come across offensive line depth in the NFL, uh, and it's the same with the secondary. I think you'll have more flexibility in, a, in acquiring somebody there, and I think that is a more likely spot to expect them to maybe make potentially a trade. Uh, I just don't know what that name is, and I'd keep an eye on the Eagles uh, roster. I keep an eye on the Ravens roster. Obviously, they hired over Alexander as experience with that roster, uh, and see if the Jets could potentially make an addition there because especially if pool showed up, you know, a little out of shape and, you know, he started out, you know, missing a practice or two, you want to get some more bodies there. And it'll be interesting to see in the preseason, if they have a particularly rough game, if that maybe creates a little more urgency around it, you know, you go out in that first preseason game and maybe you allow 28 or 35 points that shouldn't, you know, influence you too much because it's the preseason, but there'll be more pressure to do something uh, if those guys are struggling. And I'm curious to see if that, you know, propels something forward. So, look, I, just like the Jets were pretty proactive at tight end and they did that by signing somebody, not trading for somebody, secondary is the next spot I would look at, particularly if it doesn't look like Marcus May is going to be healthy. And that that's an alarming situation because the Jets are really thin at safety uh, after Jamal Adams if Marcus May isn't out there. You know, Rontez Miles has been around a long time. He's a good special teamer, but he has not played any meaningful reps on defense in a few years, and you can't count on him to be a starting safety. Doug Middleton uh, has not been able to stay healthy and really looked over his head last year when he had to start a few games for May. Uh, that's a big drop-off of the Jets' don't have him and may is really kind of in a make or break year in my mind if he can't stay healthy and get on the field this year uh they're gonna have to start looking at other long-term options to be jamal adams running mate and you just hope that isn't the case uh but that was a concern with may coming out of college and i think why a lot of people were surprised it just went back to back safeties to start that draft when you look at some of the other people who were out there so let's hope may is back soon because you do not want a shaky corner situation uh, to go with a shaky safety situation uh, because that defense does not have a proven pass rush up front unless Quentin Williams and Ja'Kai Polite really get up to speed right away. Uh, so another thing where the Jets may be able to make uh, a veteran addition there. A um, couple other things to highlight or discuss uh, from the early portions of camp and heading into the first preseason game where you know, we're commonly seeing things referenced or seeing questions about 
Uh, along with Ty Montgomery, I think Jamison Crowder has stood out early in camp. I don't think that's surprising. And, you know, going back and looking at what I predicted for the offensive stats in last week's 12 pack, I do have Crowder, well, at least when it comes to receivers, leading everybody in targets and catches. I don't think he's going to lead in yards. I don't think he's going to lead in touchdowns, but I think he's really going to be the primary receiver target in the short to intermediate passing game. And he's going to get a high volume of looks and should be, if he's healthy, should be a 70 75 catch guy who maybe hovers, you know, somewhere around 700, 750 yards. But I think he's going to be really active in this offense, uh, along with Montgomery as, you know, a complementary piece to the main guys, which I really think will be more of Le'Veon and Anderson and Herndon when he gets back. And hopefully Herndon can get up to speed fast when he gets back because he's such a unique weapon to have in the middle of the field and is really a guy that, if used properly and if he continues to develop properly, could help push this Jets offense to a different level. So encouraging and I don't think overly surprising to see that Crowder is doing particularly well in camp uh, along with Montgomery. You know, I would say on the defensive side of the ball, you know, people, you know, get a little panicked and worry about, you know, why aren't we hearing more about Polite? Why aren't we even hearing more about Williams, even though we just picked up you know, these guys are going to rotate through and they're going to get a ton of action in the preseason. And I think, you know, particularly with Quinnen, he's going to play a lot right out of the gate. I mean, I don't know if he's, he's not going to be playing 90, 95% of the snaps. So he'll probably be more around that 70, 75% range in the early weeks, particularly with Henry Anderson there and Leonard Williams there and other guys rotating through. But he'll, he'll be playing roughly starters reps, I think, right away. I think with Polite, it could be a little bit more of a climb uh, to him getting a ton of reps. But. It's just hard to see that, you know, by the middle of the season, he's just not going to be playing a lot because there's just not enough around him uh, to take away his playing time. Uh, so we'll see how that, you know, ultimately shakes out. But too early to be panicking about who's not getting first team reps, who is getting first team reps. You got to remember that the coaching staff is going to experiment a lot in these early parts of camp and they're going to try to mix and match different personnel groups to see what works. That's what this part of training camp is for. Uh, to learn about your roster, to see how these guys look in pads, and, of course, to make sure everybody stays healthy. All right, so we're going to wrap up here. So as a reminder, this will probably go live, I'm assuming, you know, either Sunday night or Monday morning. We'll have another episode on this feed on Thursday uh, featuring Evan Silva, so make sure you're subscribed. I uh, have articles and tweets throughout the week, as always. Uh, there's no shortage of things to talk about at this time of the year. Hall of Fame games back in the next when the time this publishes next few days. Uh, so we're back. Um, so thank you everybody for listening. Thanks for continuing to send your questions over. Uh, and we'll be back Thursday with a new episode.